You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Strange Familiars. How you doing tonight, Allison? I'm doing okay. So we're going to be talking about the greatest of all time castle tonight? Mm-hmm. Or is this, they say, in some kind of satanic place? So like where they worship Baphomet in this goat castle? No. It's more insidious. More insidious than that? Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. I know what it's about. <laughs> I would hope so. Hey, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you for supporting Strange Familiars. Thank you for what you do, because we couldn't do Strange Familiars without your help. If you want to help us make Strange Familiars and get more content besides, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. All of our patrons get not one, but two exclusive full episodes every month. Plus, they get the weekly episodes without commercials. Every now and then, we'll throw them other offers out there discounts on merch and so forth, but we always guarantee they get those two full episodes every month of Strange Familiars. Again, if you want to check it out, it's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. So, I don't know how long ago now. I think it's been a year and a half or something. A while back, I moved to a new booking format for the show where I was keeping people's names on a list Mm -hmm. for guests and so forth. I never made the list. I have to say... It was a miserable failure, and I apologize to everyone whose name was on that list. What I'm trying to do now, I'm trying to go back through and contact everybody 
on that guest list and get them booked and get the interviews done. It's been a long time for a lot of people, and I don't know if they're upset. I would not blame them if they are. But a lot of people aren't emailing me back. So if I told you you were on the guest list, look for that email. If you still want to be on the show, I'd still love to have you. It's going to take me a while to get through it, but that's what I'm I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to... And then you're going to start with a new format? Yeah, I think we're going to call for specific topics. Oh, that's a good idea. And I'm going to start that tonight. Ooh, what's the topic? This is based on just what we have as far as interviews scheduled and interviews in the can already recorded. Right now, what I'm looking for is people who have had creature encounters. So if you've seen Bigfoot, if you've seen a werewolf or dogman, whatever you want to call it, uh, these not deer things, any kind of creature encounter is what we're looking for right now. So if you have that... Go ahead and shoot us an email. I would also say that if you just have a great story that you'd like to share, you would probably be amenable to listening to it, right? To what? Like to, to just, just have somebody. any great story? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's but this is <laughs> this is how our email got okay okay completely full before okay. So just for right now, we're trying to get some creature encounter stories. Okay. And so if you have some creature encounter stories, we'd love to hear it. Again, we'd love to hear everybody's weird story, no matter what it is. But just for right now, we're calling out for creature encounter stories. We're just going to try it. This might not work either, this way of doing it. I'm just going to try it. I am apparently, I think I'm okay at putting together a podcast, but running a podcast, the actual like office work of a podcast, the behind the scenes stuff, scheduling and managing time and so forth, maybe not so good at that. I'm doing my best though. So strange familiars podcast at gmail.com is the address. If you're already on the guest list, like I said, look out for our email. A lot of people haven't been returning my emails. That's fine. It's been a long time. I figured they either thought, well, he's not interested or they lost interest in doing it. That's totally fine. But if you are on the list, I'm very slowly going through and trying to book these interviews when I can. It's, it's hard because I have one night a week now. I'm doing some night classes and stuff. I have one night a week to do interviews. And thank you for your patience with me. We love our listeners. We love all the stories, all the weirdness. We love it. And now, let's get to some more weirdness at the Goat Castle. So we don't do too many stories about the South. Like, no further South than maybe Maryland. (laughs) We've had a few. But I mean, well, yeah, we definitely but, have crossed the Mason-Dixon line. We have not gone. We've had a few. I mean, guests definitely have. Oh come yeah, guests definitely, out. but not like the stories themselves. We haven't had too many that where the the setting in the South is is so prominent. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have too much experience with the South. I mean, I think if you hear me, you can you can hear I'm decidedly Mid Atlantic, <laughs> 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 and I've I've really only ever been in the South maybe once on a cross-country trip, and I would like to relate that story now. Okay. You may have told this before, but go ahead and tell it again. It's a good one. So I was on a cross-country trip with an ex-boyfriend of mine, and we stopped in Arkansas because we needed something to eat. And we saw the siren song of Hardee's in the distance, Mm -hmm. as you do when you're on a trip and you're thinking, I'm not going to be near a bathroom anytime soon. I should probably stop into a Hardee's. This is a young person's game. This is a young person's yeah. game. I think I was only like maybe 19 or 20 at the mm-hmm. time. And um, 
I wanted to ask for my f- favorite hearty sandwich, which is the mushroom and Swiss. Mm-hmm. So I went in and looking like a total freak. And my boyfriend, I think, probably looked like a total freak. I said, may I have a mushroom and Swiss sandwich? And she, the lady said, we don't have that, but we do have a catfish sandwich. Which I thought, okay, I'm definitely in a different place. But then this is one of the only a few times in my life that this has happened to me where we were sitting there eating and someone comes up to me and says, where are you from? You know, I said, you know, where I was living at the time, but by way of Pennsylvania. And he said, yeah, I thought so. Because people around here don't look like you. (laughs) (laughs) So I got the official, you aren't from around here. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Mm -hmm. Arkansas. And then we got in the car and left Arkansas. So in answer to this, I have to say the worst, most extreme rednecks I've ever run into mm-hmm. were in the north. In your own neighborhood. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you know, that's the devil you know, I suppose, you know, there. No, this was on a trip in Vermont. And I stopped to get directions and I walked into a bar and these Vermont rednecks wanted to fight me just for walking in, just for walking into the bar. So you took them all on, clearly. No, no, no. The, the very kind lady who worked there kind of told them to sit down, backed them off me. I don't know why we're made. I mean, like, why that has anything to do with the South, though, is to say that, like, that you aren't from around here sort of deliverance trope about the yeah. Southern like, is yeah. not is universal. It's not limited it's to not the limited South. It's not limited to the South. Because, you know, when I was trying to learn to play banjo, I was going through all those banjo festivals in West Virginia and stuff, and... And those are some of the um, greatest, most beautiful places I've uh, I've been. And the people were super kind. And the right? super were yeah, the people was... were very kind. And there were people from every possible economic mm-hmm. right from the people who are like the weekend banjo players who yeah. have like really expensive jobs to the people who just come out because they play banjo in some holler they were they've lived in their whole life. And it was it was a great sort of melting pot if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. The only other place I've been threatened as much as Vermont <laughs> was right here in New York County. When, speaking of banjo players, Bob Buckingham, the guy who showed me how to play banjo, he didn't teach me so much as show me. I had to sit there and look at him playing banjo and try to figure it out. But still a great guy. I like lo- an in-person YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love Bob. He was coming over. We had kind of a standing appointment at our house in Glenrock, I was recording him. It eventually became a record. My friend is a mule in the mines. I produced and recorded that record of Bob's banjo playing, and I'm very, very proud of that. Don't think it sounds like any other old-time record out there, production-wise. Anyway, it was one night before we were set to record or something. Bob wanted a six-pack of beer. So we go down to the bar in Glenrock, and we walked in, and it was another one of those record scratch, head-turn moments. This is a town I lived in. Yeah. <laughs> And immediately, these guys started breaking bad with us. Now, Bob was shorter than me, wasn't a big guy, but he also wasn't going to take anything from anybody. And he just gives it right back to him, like, Bob, let's just get, get your beer. Because yeah, like, I'm always like, don't engage, don't engage. Yeah. Just like, he's like, I'm taking that from them. But yeah, that was the only other, like, you ain't from around here, get out kind of experience I've had. So But any place can be hospitable or inhospitable. I don't want to pick on the South. I'm that's just what I'm that, saying. That's why I'm giving yeah. these examples of these places 
where it happened in the north. You know, mm-hmm. like it didn't happen to me when I was in the south. This mm-hmm. happened to me twice north of the Mason-Dixon line. All of that is to say we will be discussing some things that may play into some southern stereotypes maybe yeah. as regards to this and that we know they don't apply. These aren't things that apply to everyone. And these certainly don't apply as much today as they did in the time that we're talking about this. Yeah, th- Is that fair to say? Yeah, and this story um, really has a lot of parallels with a very mid-Atlantic or, or um, actually probably more New England story, and that's Grey Gardens. You've seen the documentary. We've watched Grey Gardens together. Yes. So uh, if you're unfamiliar with the story, it involves Jackie Onassis, Jackie Kennedy, her aunt and cousin who were left uh, Hampton's estate and then just let it go. And they just lived in absolute sort of squalor and um, sort of dilapidated glory. And this has a lot of parallels to the story, yeah. which takes place in what I presume I will mispronounce as Natchez, Mississippi. <laughs> I'm sure there's a, like, as, again, like every time we have to say something that doesn't apply to um, our area, I, I always assume I will pronounce it wrong. So I'm just going to say from the get-go, I've looked it up a couple different ways, like phonetically and mm-hmm. what people say. And apparently if you live there, it's a slightly different way of saying it. But I'm going to say Natchez, Mississippi, and you can just send Tim a bad e- an email <laughs> about me. <laughs> I was listening back to an old episode. It was episode number 158, which was one of our Hermit episodes. Mm-hmm. It was on the old Leatherman because I'm, I'm writing a chapter in the Hermit's book on him. Mm-mm. Way back in episode 158, we were given the same warnings. <laughs> we're going to mispronounce these towns wrong. We're sorry. We're doing our best. So we, I'd we've like been... to also t- say that the night that we are recording this happens to be a night of regional favorites, and we were just finished up some false nuts. So, you know, if you're not f- from Pennsylvania, German area, you might not be sitting there eating a sugary, lard-covered donut. You might have your own regional delicacy. We all have our own regional dialects and delicacies. So, Fosnox being a heavy potato donut, right? Yeah. Deep fried, sugary, lardy. Goodness. Wonderful tasting <laughs> thing. Lent starts tomorrow. So the tradition is... Fat Tuesday, use up all the... Yeah. Anything that might tempt you during mm-hmm. Lent. So... Um, Which never, I'm doing a heck of a job of that tonight. Preparing ahead of time. I am. I you am, have carb loaded for the show. I am, I am carb loading for Lent <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'm going to uh, cut out sweets, and I have some positive things I'm doing as well in Lent. But uh, cutting out sweets, I'm going to do, and got to get them all used up mm-hmm. and have a house full of sweets. Let's talk a little bit more about Grey Gardens. Oh, okay. Raccoons living in the walls. That's my one takeaway from that. They have raccoons living in the house with them. Yeah, along with a lot of cats. There's always cats. Mm-hmm. I thought the documentary now parody of Grey Gardens was... It- Absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. They changed the name from, like, there's Little Edie and Big Edie, or mm-hmm. the, the mother and daughter that live in the Grey Gardens house. And then when Bill Hader does his impression of it on the documentary now version of it, it's Little Vivi and Big Vivi. And he does a fantastic version of that. I mean, he is, he's great anyway, mm-hmm. but he just nails it. It's, it's absolutely hilarious. So watch, if you haven't seen Grey Gardens, mm-hmm. watch Grey Gardens, but then go look at the documentary now parody of Grey Gardens. The problem with documentary now is unless you've seen the documentary they're parodying, it's like, 
I don't necessarily get yeah, all the jokes. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't really make much sense. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Grey Gardens, the parody's not going to land. But if you've seen Grey Gardens, it's absolutely fantastic. So how do we get to Goat Castle? Well, you bought a photo, which is, you know, what you thought was a hermit. Well, it just came up as a wild man search. They called him a wild man. Wild man? Now, I need that. Yeah, and he looks like he has a lot of um, the hermit aesthetic. Yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he's definitely cleaned up in the photo I have, you can tell. Yeah, I think that's a court photo. <laughs> and this was a press photo it was um, for a newspaper. And after a time, newspapers will sell the old photos. Mm -hmm. You can get the old photos. I've gotten a few hermit photos that way. So, yeah, I thought he was going to be a hermit or something. I grabbed it, and I very quickly looked up, like, because it has his name. Mm -hmm. I very quickly looked up his name, and it said something like the goat man or something like that. And they also call him a wild man. I was like, I knew there was was some kind of murder thing involved with him. Mm -hmm. That's all I knew. I was like, okay, I'll get this photo. I'll put it aside. Maybe this will be a story for Strange Familiars one day. So I put it on the pile, the story pile, the things we'll, we want to get to one day. And very recently, I got it out and I hand it to you. I said, hey, maybe you want to do a story on this guy. Maybe you want to look this up. Because uh, Allison very kindly does a lot of research. Every now and then she takes a load off of me and says, uh, I will develop a show. And I thought, well, give you some homework. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you came back to me very shortly and said, oh, there's a lot here. Yeah, there really is a lot. There's a lot here. This is good stuff. So, Goat Castle. That's how we got there. Where do we start? I think it might be best to sort of introduce the players and sort of talk about the world that they were born into. Okay. So, the the wild man, the goat man that we refer to, is Richard Dana, sometimes called Dick Dana. He is very well connected. All of the members of this story are born sometime either during the late Civil War or immediately after it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's at a time of uh, tremendous change. In the South. In yeah. the South. Yeah, especially in the South. These are people who assumed that through slavery and plantations, they were going to be wealthy forever. Mm-hmm. And without free labor and without the slave trade, a take lot of a, people lost a lot of money. Yeah, take a big hit. Yeah. Uh, as well they should have. <laughs> yeah. So this is the world that these people are are born into. For the most part, all the white people involved in this story were born with amazing privilege. Mm-hmm. Social status beyond what most people listening to, including ourselves, mm-hmm. would, could ever fathom. And then they take these sort of parallel journeys into eccentric reclusiveness. Interesting. Then eventually murder. Mm-hmm. So Dick Dana is actually related to, and, and people probably know this illustrator, Charles Dana Gibson, to whom we credit the uh, the Gibson girl. Yeah. Of the early, like, pre-flapper. It's it's the kind of Edwardian era woman with her hair up, sort of an, like, um, trying to find a way to... It's like a woman with kind of upswept hair. Mm-hmm. To me, it always reminds me of things that were on... Like when Wendy's had its like Victorian Edwardian right, kind of era, yeah. they were always girls kind of like that in the in the newspapers or on the on the yeah. cups and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know if it's just because I'm an artist, but I feel like even I'm familiar with the Gibson girls, so I think it might be a little more universal than some of the way out things you come up with. Yeah, <laughs> that I think are universal. <laughs> yeah. That I'm like, that like, could just be me. That's his. Would you say his cousin? It's, it's his cousin. His yes. Cousin. 
He's a child of privilege, an aspiring musician. He attends Vanderbilt for a while. I'm going to read a little story. I'll fill you in on the fact that there will be a murder happening later on in, we, in this We already story. mentioned that. Yeah. So I don't think it's any surprise. Yeah. So there might be references to that because this story was written once he became a household name in this area. Okay. This is an article from St. Joseph, Louisiana in September of 1932. This is about a month after the murder. Dick Dana was christened Richard Henry Clay Dana, and the ceremony was performed in the Episcopalian Church in Natchez, Mississippi, or Old Trinity. He lived under this name until August the 5th of this year. Newspaper men immersed him in publicity, and when the director of this ceremony emerged with Dick, his name was Wildman Dana. He had lost the dignified name bestowed upon him at the rituals of his and his parents' church. His father was a minister. I was talking to a friend the other day, and he said that he knew Dick Dana. He told incidents that would incline one to believe that all that has been printed in the papers is not true. He said he remembered when Dick Dana first began to act eccentric. I thought to myself, if this person knew what he was talking about, then this question would be cleared in the minds of many people in this section. I never said anything, but I took it all in. Later the same day, I remarked to another party that I had heard Mr. A, let's call him that for clarity, say that he knew when Dick Dana began to act queer. And we're using this, of course, in the vernacular of the time, Mm -hmm. just to mean odd or eccentric. Mr. B said with a chuckle, has he known him ever since he was born? I could not answer this question. Dick Dana was the talk of the town. As a young man, he displayed unusual musical ability. He was sought out for entertainments, and no party was complete unless he was present. A quartet composed of Alex and Will Peel, Jim Cohen, and Richard Dana serenaded the fairer sex in the moonlight of the Old South. Jim Cohen says Dick Dana ran a bar room here, and he was the only bartender who would tell you after three drinks that you had had enough. But regardless of this homage paid to this man, the townspeople appreciated the interest shown in music by these men. Another committee was selected to give dances, and Dick Dana was on that committee. He saw to it that all the parties were a success. Martin Nyheisel had the Natchez confe- confectionery then, and he would give Dick a special price on the cakes. A grand and glorious affair was the outcome of the efforts exerted by Dick Dana. The expenses were taken care of through subscription, and the surplus was given to the girls who were to give the next party— Double it and give it to the next person. <laughs> Some of the money was given to charity. It was this surplus that made Dick Dana withdraw from his paramount position in Natchez society to the life of a hermit. His parties were always successful affairs, and the other young men of the town became jealous of him. Rather than cause dissension in the town circle, he withdrew from his set. Now, that's not entirely true. There are other people who think that there might be some other things going on. Interesting. Maybe he wasn't all that talented. Mm. Maybe he didn't really have the propensity to be a virtuoso pianist. And he also had an accident in which he um, hurt his hand, which is a convenient way to stop being a pianist and might be related to sort of his fall from sanity. Mm. So by the time he's older, a lot of a lot of his privilege has fallen away, and he ends up having to move in to a boarding house or in with a family who has taken on boarders. And that's where he meets Octavia Dockery. Everybody has a fascinating name. I They're know. really, like, great. This is the woman that Octavian named himself <laughs> yes. after, I believe. <laughs> She's born right after the war in 1866. Her father was a Confederate war hero who lost his fortune and ended up dying penniless. So she ends up having to move in with her married sister, and they moved to Natchez. 
At the same boarding house, is it? Well, it's their house that, that Dick Dana moves into. Okay. Because while they're doing well, they're not doing as well as they want, as maybe they had been previously. So it's, it's Octavia's sister's house. Husband's house, yes. Sister's husband's house, mm-hmm. but they're both boarders. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's unmarried, but at a, one time she was fancied herself a little writer. And she had written for some Confederate newspapers, and she was. Uh, we've read some articles online where she talks about the importance of being uh, a well kempt, put together lady mm-hmm. for attracting men. The irony of which will become amazingly clear soon. <laughs> but despite all of her palpable talents and um, her attractiveness, she is still living with her brother-in-law when she is forty-four years old, and that's where she meets Dick. The entire family moves to this antebellum mansion called Glenwood, which was once owned by Dick Dana's family. And so he thinks of it in some sense as his inheritance. Oh, interesting. But it's not. Like he has no claim to this necessarily. Well, yes and no. Okay. It was His dad did own it for a while. Now Octavia's brother-in-law owns it. But Octavia's brother-in-law and her sister are soon to die, which kind of leaves these borders SOL. They die of natural causes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this isn't the murder. <laughs> this isn't the murder. They just murder. happen to die. And so they begin sort of a 50-year squatting situation, basically. Wow. It's at this time that things kind of start to take a turn because they, they are really out of money. Neither one of them know how to fend for themselves. Mm-hmm. They've been well taken care of. And... He's kind of losing it. And so it becomes beneficial for her to claim herself as the caretaker because it also affords special rights in regards to foreclosure on properties and um, giving people more benefits than they might have if he were a sane man. Okay. It does appear as if that part is accurate. He is starting to lose it. There are people in the neighborhood who talk about him being in a gunny sack up on a tree, just jumping around. Wow. Um, that's all he's wearing? Just a gunny just sack? Just a gunny sack. With a hole at the top? That is a wild man at uniform. That is a, that is a wild... This, yeah. <laughs> he really leaned into it. <laughs> and meanwhile, these mansions that no one has the ability to keep up because all the money's gone are really starting to decline. Mm-hmm. And this is where these sort of tropes about the gothic southern antebellum mansions start to appear. A lot of people in the South feel really sorry for old Confederates mm-hmm. who can no longer maintain the lifestyle they did before. Mm-hmm. They have very, very little sympathy for the people who were providing free labor and had no autonomy. Right, right. So into this world come some goats, because that's their main livelihood at this point. They're living on a goat economy. <laughs> I'm, I'm pro-goat economy, just for the record. Because um, they had no kids of their own. Ah, uh, nice, <laughs> nice. So... The goats have been allowed into the house. They're not just goats that are flying out around the whole property. They're allowed into the house. Yeah. Um, love goats. hmm If you want to keep your house in any way, shape, or form. Um, Even the modicum of cleanliness. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you don't want your walls eaten. Hey, they, that's what they were talking about. The, they, the goats would eat all the remaining rare books, and they would 
get the wallpaper and chew on the wallpaper as high as they could reach. Yeah. I mean, we've seen our bunny actually do this where she would like take the spine of a book and grab it in her teeth and like rip all the way up. Mm-hmm. And I can, and goats, I mean, it's the same kind of principle that they will just yeah. eat anything. Like I said, I love goats. I love them, but I don't know that you want to let them into your house. I mean, mm-hmm. Probably give them their own house. Yeah. Build them a goat tower. You know what else they're chewing on while they're in there? They're chewing on furniture that General Robert E. Lee gave to Dick Dana's family. Wow. That's what's populating this house. Rare books, General Lee's old furniture. Wow. And these two eccentric, crazy birds are living in there with their goats. With with the goats in the house. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever lived in a place where you had neighbors that you didn't particularly care for. Glen Rocky. <laughs> yeah, we actually did have some <laughs> We had a neighbor who would openly, and he would probably get along pretty well yeah. in this neighborhood, he would openly wear a KKK shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Confederate flags everywhere. Yeah, this, this guy was, uh, I think we would call him problematic these days. Yes, he was uh, quite problematic. Um, yeah, yeah, and he wasn't the only one. Yeah. I love the town of Glen Rock. Mm-hmm. And some of our neighbors were incredibly nice people. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple that yeah. were real works. But I was thinking, like, in our neighborhood growing up, we had one family where it was, like, the house that was, like, totally run down. I always thought of them as sort of, like, Bo and Luke Duke. You know, like, they were, like, <laughs> this. I'm imagining that that's the kind of, everybody has some sort of neighbor like that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like the, for a variety of reasons. And sometimes, like, you know, I think we were that neighbor at some points. We just didn't have the money to fix up our house. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm not casting judgment on that aspect. I have to say, between living with goats mm-hmm. at the Goat Castle mm-hmm. or living with raccoons at the Great Gardens house. Oh, goats. I'm going with goats, yeah. Goats, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So th- they had a neighbor. And sh- not shockingly, she was not super pleased with the state of their goat castle. Of their goat castle. In fact, there was like a near constant war going on between Octavia, Dick Dana, and their neighbor Jenny. This has like lots of different aspects of people being on different sides of things and then coming together because, in some capacity, they have something in common. Mm-hmm. So. Dick Dana and Octavia Dockery actually have a fair amount in common with their neighbor, Jenny, and that they were all fairly privileged society people who have taken a little turn towards reclusivity. Mm-hmm. And she's doing the same thing, except for her family were Northern sympathizers, mm. part of which was entirely pragmatic because her father thought that maybe he could save a little of their plantation if he sympathized with the North, it eventually led to an important appointment by Grant to her father for being the Belgian ambassador. So this girl grew up part of the time in New York City, part of the time in Belgium, and then eventually, uh, after living a life of independence, where she was um, worked on behalf of the poor and had a, a fairly progressive lifestyle, she came back to Natchez, Mississippi, and lived on the fam- one of the family estates. And I'm going to guess that as these things go, in any town, people have long memories. They do. And so while she was a society lady, she was also a society lady who, in that area, her family fell on the wrong side. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. of the prevailing attitudes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, her father said something to the effect of he didn't feel like he had a friend in the world where they lived. Mm-hmm. I guess he was thought of as a traitor, a northern traitor, I imagine. Yeah, I don't even know if it's, I mean, I'm sure a traitor to some. Mm-hmm. But in some, again, I'm thinking back to the old time music community, and there were definitely families that were remembered as northern sympathizers. Mm-hmm. There's a an old time musician, I like Frank Prophet, if you remember, and he was sort of very proudly. I think he was from North Carolina, North Carolina, mm-hmm. I believe, and he was sort of very proudly stated that no, my family was for the North, mm-hmm. but people remembered that. Mm-hmm. And if you're living in the South, yeah, makes things a little bit harder. You mm-hmm. know, I guess. Um, Anytime you live in an area where everyone else thinks in a polar opposite view from mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. Pe- yeah, people tend to remember these things, mm-hmm. you know, for better or for worse. You know, if you also couple that with a reclusive nature, it just, to them, it kind of seems like, you know, added evidence of your weirdness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Why is it that wanting to be alone is, is seen as such an eccentric quality? That's a good question. I'm writing a whole book on it right now. (laughs) You should probably figure that out by the time that book comes out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. People were – I mean, that's the thing about these hermits. People were – People are fascinated. Absolutely fascinated by them. And we know their stories. You know, these are the weirdos and Mm -hmm. they were seen as dirty and Mm -hmm. and other and, you know, outsiders or whatever. And yet we know their stories Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. And Common Joe – down the street, yeah. did, did everything he was supposed to do, and long forgotten. Yeah, we'll know nothing about him. So it's interesting the way yeah. these things go. So uh, Jenny also had a, a number of suitors. There are letters where you don't see her point of view, but from the point of view of the suitor, she was actively pursued. She was a beautiful woman. There's nothing like obviously unattractive in any conventional sense about her. How did she feel about goats? She didn't like them. <laughs> Not in the way that, that they uh, interfered with her beautiful mansion. Mm-hmm. They said that she actually kind of stopped. She got frozen kind of in time. I always find that interesting when people just pick. I don't know that they even pick, but it's for some reason they, they're just sort of stuck at a particular time. Mm-hmm. And they said long into her adult life, she still dressed as if it was 1895 and wore the dresses from 1895. You know people like that today. Yeah. Yeah. You've often said that you can sometimes, not always, but you can sometimes tell when the happiest time of a person's life was. Because they'll still tend to wear the clothes or the hairstyle or something of that time. Mm-hmm. Or they want to be seen as, as a part of that time. Mm-hmm. That's when they felt comfortable. Yeah. So, I mean, that still happens today. So I, I think we I all absolutely do it. believe it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And some of it is just you get comfortable. Like, this is now I'm comfortable. Yeah. Right? And so why bother? I'm not changing. Yeah, especially if you're not really going to entertain anyone. <laughs> not going to talk to anyone. Yeah, exactly. Why dress up for someone else? to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So the one person that their neighbor, Jenny, does see on a regular basis is her cousin, Duncan. He's been obsessed with her for decades. He was one of the suitors that would come along. And they've developed this relationship, which some people think of as a love relationship and some people think of as a companionship relationship, wherein he comes every night to see her and they spend the evening together. Some people thought of that as him living with her in an inappropriate way and others thought of it as just um, the only person she still let into her life Mm -hmm. I don't really think that that particularly matters one way or another in the story Yeah. however at one point he owns the mansion next door that Octavia oh really? (laughs) at what point does he own it? he owns Goat Castle in other words yeah because at one point they um, lose it in a sale Sheriff sale because they can't make the, Mm -hmm. and he buys it, and they're living there for three years, and he's like, okay, it's time for you guys to go, and that's when she files another suit, wow, to to get them to stay, and she's just she's really, I mean, Octavia as wacky as she is, like the mistress of Goat Castle, which is what it says on her tombstone, wow, (laughs) really, yeah, wow, she's pretty smart, Mm -hmm. and every time Jenny gets mad that one of the goats has come over and ruined something on her property. She fires right back. In fact, there, I found an article, and this is probably passive-aggressively aimed at Jenny, but it made it to the regular newspaper. Yes, this is from February of 1920. Taken up at Glenwood, Dana Place, Kingston Road, Tuesday. One large black boar hog, white face. Owner, please call and pay expenses. Octavia Dockery. She's finding, trying to find any way to get another penny out of somebody else. Mm-hmm. So every time Jenny's mad that their goats have traveled over and ruined something on Jenny's property, she'll claim that she had them and she wants the rent for them back. You know, like the, there's a constant back and forth. Okay. And they've had this ongoing relationship for years. At the same time, there's a whole nother group of people in this town who are the people that are the first generation of previously enslaved people. They're living side by side with these people who at one point were either their employers or their enslavers. It's interesting to me whenever you have like an entirely parallel lives 
that are so drastically different. And so while the people in this area are so sympathetic towards the southern plantation owners who have lost their wealth and the dying, decaying Old South, mm-hmm. there's absolutely no sympathy for the people who have been providing that lifestyle for them. Yeah, that's that's difficult. Yeah. And I there's, think that, there's no getting around that. It's just it's, it's just a hard It's a hard truth. Yeah. yeah. That there's no acknowledgement on that part. Yeah. And there won't be for decades and decades and maybe still isn't today. Yeah. That's hard. So into this ongoing feud accidentally enters a very sweet recently widowed girl who lives with her mother, Emily Burns. She's born in 1895, so she's decidedly younger than everyone else in the story. She left school at 12, she married at 16, and by her early 30s, she's already widowed. And she's living with her mother, Nellie, who's only 53. To help pay the rent, they take on boarders. They have what is perhaps the most Southern Gothic boarder (laughs) that I've ever heard. His name is Ed Newell, and Ed is short for Edgar Allan Poe Newell. And he works as an embalmer. <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe Newell yeah. works as an embalmer. And they call him Poe. That's fantastic. That's a, like, isn't that the best nickname ever? It's fantastic. He's one of the few people in town who's, uh, he's working for a black embalmer. So he doesn't have the same need to interact with the white community as okay. some of the other people do in this story. Mm-hmm. And then they also take on a boarder named Pinckney Williams, a.k.a. Pink but also a.k.a. Lawrence Williams, a.k.a. George Pearls. He is 26 years older than Emily. He's married, and he just left Chicago. It's the summer of 1932, so you know what's going on then. Not specifically the summer of 32, but generally. It's the Depression. I'm trying to come up with a silly answer. Like, you know, I was trying to pull like some ob- Altamont obscure, yeah, Isn't that Woodstock out of my head. But yes, this is the. I, I know it's the Depression, but I, yes. I was I was paused because I wanted to think of a dumb answer, and it's just not happening. Please uh, insert something very clever in your mind that Tim said here. <laughs> I mean, we could just edit it. You have time to come up with it and just pop it in there. Yeah, or or let's be real. So Pink and Poe and Emily. And right. her mother are all living together. Let's take a pause here. Okay. Let's just go over the characters one more time. So we have Dick Dana, who is the wild man mm-hmm. or the goat man. Mm-hmm. We have Octavia Dockery, who is the goat lady. Yes, she's the Confederate daughter goat woman. They're living in Goat Castle. Yes, which is called Glenwood. Next door to them. At Glen Burney. Is. Jenny Merrill. Jenny Merrill. And occasionally her. Her cousin. cousin suitor. Duncan Minor. Duncan Minor, yeah. The people at this other boarding house that come into play, mm-hmm. Emily Burns, mm-hmm. the young woman. Mm-hmm. Her mother, Nellie. Her mother, Nellie. Ed Newell, who was Poe. Mm-hmm. And Pink Williams, mm-hmm. which is a good blues name. It, it's fantastic. So Pink and Poe and Emily. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's our cast of characters mm-hmm. right now. All right. So Pink returns to Mississippi to look for work. Okay. He'd been living in Chicago. He returns to Mississippi looking for work. Now, what happens in this area is he's forced to go to the people that either enslaved his family previously or people he worked for previously. So he heads to Jenny's house. Jenny still has people living on her property that are 
either worked for her family previously or were enslaved by her family. That is an odd relationship, right? I mean, it's... Is it more or less odd than being enslaved? Oh, it, it's <laughs> less, but I mean... Yeah, it, it is odd to have to, like, you've gained some modicum of freedom, but yet you're still tied to people because you have... What other options do you have? Right, exactly, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's like... It's not it's, a lot of options. No, and, you know, that's how sharecropping and the prison industrial complex uh, take over the free labor that uh, was provided. I'll say provided in quotes, uh, forced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the previously forced free labor. Previously, no. It's just it's just an odd thing that to have to still like, be there. Like, yeah, because naively, mm-hmm. you have this idea of the Civil War happens, the enslaved are freed, and everybody goes their own way. Mm-hmm. But it did not happen that way. Yeah, well, isn't that the great falsehood of, of America that everyone just has to work hard and pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Yeah, not someone's taken away everything that you've ever that you ever had any mm-hmm. foundational. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I'm not blaming anybody. Like if no, but how uncomfortable is it? To, super uncomfortable, but also you have to live, right? Yeah. So, like I don't blame anybody for any choices they make. They have they have families, they have lives, they need to provide. You know what I mean? I'm just saying it's odd. It's an yeah. odd relationship. I don't blame them for whatever choices they had yeah. to make to mm-hmm. survive. You know, but and the indignity of having to go and ask for work from someone who previously enslaved you or your family. Yeah, that's right. It's too. it's like indignity that's, that's, on top piled on top of indignity. Yeah, and, that's that's really rough. And that, and that has, you know, factor in all the factors of the Great Depression and et cetera, et cetera. Hey, let's get to the murder and the weird stuff because <laughs> <laughs> So uh Pink, as he's mm-hmm. called, goes to Jenny's house because he previously worked for either Jenny or her her cousin Duncan. And asks for work, and they make up some excuse about him being um, insolent and deny him any work there. So he's pissed, mm. and rightfully so, because he's desperate. He needs some money. And he wanders next door looking for work. I think once you would see goats inside a house, you might think, I don't know if this is the place that's going to have the extra cash for me to work there. <laughs> but they strike up a conversation. Mm-hmm. And this group of people that would normally not have a lot in common mm-hmm. suddenly realize that there is another level of haves and have-nots. And they see a certain uh, similarity in the situation they're dealing with. He sees that Dick, Octavia, and Pink all think that Jenny has something that they don't have, namely money. And that they're not necessarily entitled to, but owed some some portion of that. Yeah, and I, I think Octavia and Dick really do feel like that because they were supposed to be the children of Southern plantation owners. They were supposed to be the ones in power. They were supposed to be the ones that have money. Mm-hmm. They find this common bond, which very quickly turns into, let's rob her. Wow. Like that night, it turns into, wow. let's rob her. And they assume that she has a lot of money right. at her house, which turns out not to be true. Because a lot of people during the Depression who had a lot of money didn't feel safe having it in their home. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this in relation to Nelson Raymar, and this is happening all but the same time period, right? So he's just right pre-Depression, right? Mm-hmm. He's known to have a little bit of money. I actually talked to one of the relatives of an ancestor one time when I was at work, and she said that their family thought 
that he was Rob not necessarily. Yeah, it didn't have much to do with didn't the Didn't have hex much thing. to do with the hex thing. It I'd, had a lot more to do with the fact that it was known that he kept money in his house. More to do with money. That makes a lot more sense. Like, just when you follow the money, that tends to make more sense in the history of America. Mm-hmm. So they assume Jenny has some money. And why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. She doesn't. She's, she's wearing those cool old 1890 clothes <laughs> no, She's wearing vintage clothing. <laughs> yeah. She's pretty cool. <laughs> so they know that Duncan arrives every night at a specific time to meet her. With donuts. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if he was actually the heir to the Duncan <laughs> Donuts fortune? He is not. So they just start gathering supplies in a plan. Pink heads back to the boarding house to get the supplies he needs. They're going to meet back la- there later. Emily's become a little infatuated with the much older Pink. I mean, if like a cool guy comes from a big city into your town, I could see. I mean, I'd be there too. I'd go on a walk with him too. That's all I'm saying is that I would go on a walk with him too. And I'd probably end up in the middle of this because of my four choices. (laughs) So she goes on a walk with him and he tells her the plan. Tells her she's coming along. And when she protests, he says, you know about the plan now. You're in it, basically. Mm. Threatens her. We assume. So the next thing you know, she and Octavia and Dick and Poe are all under the house waiting for Jenny to go to sleep for the night. How'd Poe get bound up in it? He's living in the same place. So he just, they just brought him into it too. Yeah. Okay. So they hear Jenny humming, getting ready for bed. She's upstairs humming. She usually reads a little bit before her cousin shows up. She's got her hair up in combs. She's got pajamas on. Pink goes upstairs. Now, what he's using to shield himself is a coat that Dick and Octavia took from another border when they forced him out of the house. Okay. They also took the guy's gross old mattress and hauled it into the house, and that's what they one of them was sleeping on. Mm-hmm. This is actually enough to later on get this guy hauled in as a potential suspect because he owned the coat. Really? Yeah. Wow. And the dogs were able to smell it. Oh, weird. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so they go upstairs. Jenny's not overly frightened. I mean, I guess she's lived alone for so long. She's accustomed to the fact that people know she has money, and she's kind of a tough broad, right? So he goes to hit her with the, the gun. A struggle ensues. She tries to make it to the kitchen where her gun is kept in her pocketbook, but she doesn't make it there. In the fluster of what's happening, he shoots her. As much as there are many victims in this story, Jenny obviously is, is the greatest sure. victim. Yeah, yeah. Like with most things, the women don't fare well in the story. <laughs> in, in most stories. Mm-hmm. Even though she had tried to fight back, it was ultimately not successful against the, the three gunshots that... Hit her in the shoulder and her neck. Yeah. This was not the plan. This could have something to do with it. This is also, again, a good idea to make a thorough plan. Mm -hmm. Contingencies. Mm -hmm. That would have been important. Don't shoot first and then figure it out later. Right. That's what they did, though. Meanwhile, Emily's outside basically just holding a lantern. She's kind of on the watch. She really wasn't supposed to be a part of it on any level, and she doesn't enter the house. Mm Mm-hmm. Important information for later. Important information for later. So they try to get her body out of the house. They're sort of um, ridiculously inept in this capacity. They drop her at one point, and um, a pool of blood forms, which they 
It's easy then to spot the trail that leads to the ravine in which they toss her body face up. They go in and ransack the house a little bit, but they didn't find anything. Mm. So they go home having killed somebody. For nothing. For nothing. Now, um, Pink's pretty smart. Not for shooting somebody, but for going directly back to the boarding house, putting all his clothes on a pile, lighting them on fire, getting a new pair of clothes, and leaving town. Mm -hmm. A neighbor of Jenny's, who's actually named Willie Boyd. Willie Boyd is a black tenant of Jenny's who lives on her estate. And he grows concerned because he hears gunshots. He's one of the first people to sort of uh, sound the alarm, so to speak, as to something might be wrong. But it isn't too much longer before Duncan arrives for his nightly visit to Jenny. He's so cheap that (laughs) even though he's pretty wealthy, he insists on riding a horse. Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't get a car He's very frugal. So by the time he arrives, he knows something's wrong because there's blood everywhere and he can't find Jenny. Mm. The police are called and the first people that they suspect, who would you think? The people with the long running feud with her, perhaps? <laughs> they go to Dick and Octavia's house and they're a little worried about Dick because he's not playing with every card, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's a person who they said uh, other people have quoted as having a, a singular aversion to water. And for some reason, he found it necessary to wash his clothes at midnight that night. Wow. And the police come in. They barely said anything. And Dick pipes up, I don't know anything about the murder. Now, they haven't found her yet. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't amazingly scream innocence. No. No. (laughs) No. I don't know anything about the murder. What murder? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which was kind of Octavia's fear that something would happen. They were trying to get him settled down, but... So they're looking really guilty. Yeah, that doesn't look too good. They find Jenny's body. They start the proceedings of figuring out who it is that has caused this murder. And they call in a fingerprint expert. It was kind of of new at the time. And um, they find lots of fingerprints from inside, including fingerprints of someone who has a deformed hand. Guess who has a deformed hand? By memory, I know that uh, you told me that Dick Dana had his hand mashed in a window. Yes. So they put them in jail. And over time, public sympathy starts to turn from these people are horrible murderers to what are they doing with these old recluses in jail? They should be set free, right? Hmm. It It's bizarre to me that sympathy would turn in such a manner. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much of that was this is our old kind of joining ranks with like this is the old southern confederate legacy right versus jenny who will always be an interloper because of her family's northern status right why were they not sympathetic to what happened to jenny they spend some time in prison but not a long time and eventually they're freed and the quote by the uh in the paper is fingerprint evidence be damned so this is an article about uh, the seven suspects that are currently being held in the um, mysterious recluses involved. And this, I, I clipped this paper because this made national news, and this actually was in the York Dispatch, which is our one of our hometown papers. Okay, paper and date, please. York Dispatch, York, Pennsylvania, 6th of August, 1932. All right, let's hear it. Seven suspects held, recluse questioned, and probe of spinster's death. 
The eccentric Richard Dana, bearded and long-haired recluse, was among seven persons questioned today in the inquiry into the slaying of the equally eccentric Janet Surgate Merrill, comma, spinster. <laughs> Arrested with him was his housekeeper guardian, Miss Octavia Dockery. They live on a plantation which adjoins that of Miss Merrill. In addition, police held three white men and two Negroes. The list comprised, besides Dana and Miss Dockery, the following men. John Geiger, a logger who identified a coat found in the Merrill home as his property, Odell Ferguson and T.W. Carr, white, and George Sims and R. Norman, Negroes, who were trailed by bloodhounds. Dana and Miss Dockery had had an argument with the slain woman in recent days, police heard, over damage done to the Merrill property by Miss Dockery's herd of goats. The body of the spinster, with three bullet wounds, was found in a clump of bushes 200 yards from the dwelling. The dining room bore signs of a struggle. There was blood on the floor and bullet holes in the wall. Drawers downstairs were left open, but the authorities scouted a robbery theory on the claim that Miss Merrill had little money left from the one-time sizable estate of her father, Ayers Merrill, former ambassador to Belgium and a southern planter. Little accurate information could be gleaned of Miss Merrill's private life in recent years. For many years, Natchez had buzzed with curiosity over the strange case of Miss Jenny. People here never could understand why she retired from society and shut herself off in the spacious home a mile outside of Natchez, with a forbidden sign on her gate that said, no visitors wanted. Mm. I would like that sign. (laughs) I'll I'll make you one. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Many have laid her retirement to a romance which did not receive the approval of her family. Before she quit society, she was regarded as a popular belle, famed for beauty and charm. Richard Dana, her neighbor, also puzzled the community. Born of an aristocratic family, he also retreated to his ancestral plantation home and shunned people. If a visitor approached, he would hide behind a tree. Finally, he was adjudged incompetent to handle his own affairs, and his housekeeper, Miss Octavia Dockery, was appointed his guardian. I think it's funny because, like, even though she's not an official hermit, Jenny gets the... uh, the old trope of, well, it was a love that went bad that just sent her into being a recluse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is another article. Yes, this one is from the Clarion Ledger in Jackson, Mississippi, on the 16th of August, 1932. Eccentric pair given freedom in Natchez case. The strange couple, Octavia Dockery and Richard Dana, were freed from their jail cells late today and permitted to return to Goat Castle. Virtually exonerated of the charge of the murder of their wealthy neighbor, Miss Jane Merrill, who was slain on the night of August 4th on her solitary estate. They were released on their own recognizance after the officials had concluded that the murder was committed by the Negro George Pearls, who in turn was killed by Pine Bluff, Arkansas police resisting arrest, and whose body will be viewed tonight by Natchez officials in Chicago, where it was taken for burial. Before being released, the pair had filed a habeas corpus petition before Chancellor Cutrer and a hearing was set for Thursday at 9.30 a.m. Their release was obtained by doubt being cast on the finding of the Jackson, Mississippi, Bertillion Authority, who reported to Sheriff C.P. Roberts that fingerprints photographed in the Merrill home resembled those of Miss Dockery and Dana. The Jackson report was not supported by the New Orleans fingerprint expert, who tonight was in Chicago to fingerprint the body of the Pearl's Negro. At the same time, Walter Abbott, court clerk, went to Pine Bluff to get the pistol taken from the body of the man for expert examination to determine if bullets of the same caliber found in the walls of the Merrill home were fired from the weapon. If the fingerprints and pistol bear out the official's latest theory, the case probably will be closed as one of murder for robbery committed by the slain Negro who was born near Natchez but migrated to Chicago many years ago and returned to his native land unemployed and without funds. 
Should the case thus end, the townspeople of Natchez feel that great injustice has done the eccentric Stena and Dockery, who had been regarded as harmless and helpless old man and woman who formed their strange partnership out of wedlock and struggled for a livelihood on a run-down goat farm. Some citizens suggest raising a purse while others favored some aid that would give them a permanent lift back toward the life they led some 40 years ago as members of two of the South's best families. Wow. Like you said, they're really, really concerned about these poor people who lost their fortunes. And killed their neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Tonight they return to the squalor of the once-famous Glenwood Mansion, home of Dana's scholarly father, an Episcopal rector, brother of the late Charles Dana, former publisher of the New York Sun. There they will attempt to pick up the threads of their lives, more frustrated than ever, amid reminders of their better days, when Miss Dockery was the favorite daughter of a Confederate general and Richard Dana sought fame as a pianist. Hmm. The miscarriage of justice there is just... Yeah, you do find that in modern times sometimes it'll be, and I can't think of any specific examples, but I know I've I've come across it before where someone will be like very rich, right? Mm -hmm. And then some financial tragedy will befall them. Mm -hmm. And they'll have to go from like, say, a mansion to like a normal person house. Mm -hmm. And people feel really bad for them. And they're like, oh, we, we need to get them back in a mansion. I remember, and they'll like raise money for him and stuff. It's like I remember Joan Rivers talking about how oh you don't know what it's like if you lose that like if you're oh, yeah. used to yeah, if, if you're, you're used, used to limousines limousines and, 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 and then so, you have to go back to yeah it's, I have a hard time feeling yeah, it's sorry difficult for, to manifest that kind of uh, with no sympathy for a widowed woman who was threatened with her own life if she didn't participate in a crime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, meaning Emily. Like, yeah, no yeah. sympathy for yeah, her no, whatsoever. No sympathy at all for, yeah, the people that were kind of looped into it. I mean, I guess there's a little sympathy for the murder victim, but not nearly as much as for the Goat Castle couple. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Odd. It's as if something befell them. Mm -hmm. Some horrible travel. Like, yeah. People are trying to work to try to get them. Yeah, they're actively trying to help them. Yeah, that's, it's, it's wild. And it was clear that they were involved in it. The fingerprints. Yeah, like, like no one's questioning their involvement. Everyone just feels bad that they were involved by their own initiative. You know? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's odd. They're let go almost entirely because of their sad little pitiful state they're living in. So there has to be someone to pay the price, right? It's the South. It's the 30s. Someone died. Who do you think that the police are going to look to? Suspects. Well, given that it was a white woman that died. Well, there you go. So you know how I said that the night of the murder, Pink took off. Mm -hmm. He hasn't made it back to Chicago yet. And Emily's keeping his trunk at the house. He makes it to Arkansas. And in Arkansas, just because he was someone that the police in the town did not recognize. Did he try to order a mushroom and Swiss burger? He did not. Which would have been smart. If he would have delayed just a little bit of time, mm -hmm. he wouldn't have met up with this cop. Who start to question him because they don't recognize him. And once again, it's claimed that he was insolent. And the police shoot him six times for nothing more than being supposedly evasive during questioning. Not questioning for this murder, right. just for being just in town. Ge generally questioned. And not being known. Okay. On his person, they find identification, which IDs him as George Pearls. What they don't know yet is that he is has several aliases, which will would link him back to the murder mm -hmm. in Natchez, Mississippi. They're calling in all kinds of people 
who were even tangentially involved. Mm-hmm. And Emily and her mother are taken in. They're not formally charged for months. And on the 11th day, miraculously, they get a confession from her. Now, it's revealed later that she finally, quote-unquote, confesses because a bullwhoop is put on the table. Oh, wow. Wow. And knowing the legacy of what that implies in the days of slavery. Wow, wow, wow. She implicates Dana and Dockery and Poe and Pink. But for some reason, she's the only one that's still in jail as of the fall of 1932. Mainly because Pink is dead. Mm -hmm. But also because she's the only black person related to the crime that's still available. To be arrested. To be arrested. So where did Poe go? Do we know? Poe gets out of it. It's not clear why that is. Hmm. During the same amount of time while Emily is in jail, Dick Dana and Octavia Dockery start what is in essence a sideshow at their house. And while they were in jail, tons of people came to their house and ransacked it. People were looking for souvenirs. I mean, there wasn't really that much to take, but they wanted any little piece of it because people really loved this idea of this just destroyed plantation mansion. Mm Mm-hmm. The story was a hot commodity. They started referring to it as Goat Castle, and people wanted to be there. So they capitalized. Octavia was smart. She was always found a little grift to try to make money to keep them there. So she said she was going to charge people money to come through on the hope that it would give them the money they needed to fix the house up. Mm -hmm. Someone buys Dick a piano so he can start doing recitals. They are much more involved in this murder than poor Emily. Right. Who was dragged along under fear of violence. Yeah. Who basically stood outside. Held a lamp so she wouldn't get hurt by this drifter boarder guy that was mm-hmm. staying with her mom. And so on November 14th, only Emily and the deceased George, a.k.a. Pink, are indicted. It's easy to prosecute George. He's dead. You can pin a lot of stuff on dead people. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Emily can't afford any kind of counsel that could help her out of this mess. Mm-hmm. At the last minute, they give her counsel, and the people have a very short amount of time to try to mount a defense. For some reason, the fingerprint witness who had claimed previously that Octavia and Dana, were, Dick Dana were definitely in the house, yeah. they can't remember his name. They can't. Even though it was in <laughs> numerous newspapers, they can't find him. If he were there, he would be able to tell them that Emily's prints were never found in the house. She never wow. entered the house. Wow. During the testimony, she recants some of her confessions, and she talks about how she was treated. In fact, at one point, she has to sign a statement that she was treated just as well as any white lady, which obviously isn't true. And it wasn't something that she would ever have stated of her own. What an odd phrasing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's taken to the jury, and the state tells the jury to find her guilty, quote, even if the evidence proves she was on the outside of the house the whole time. They needed a face for the conviction. Mm Mm-hmm. They needed a black face. Mm-hmm. So the jury returns in 30 minutes, and they're unable to agree on a punishment. There's a possibility that she's going to die for this. Wow. Since, since they can't agree on a punishment, uh, she's sentenced to life in prison. And from December 1932, she's imprisoned. She works as a, as a seamstress six days a week, 14-hour days. She always claims her innocence, and she has very little hope of ever being released. But then, in sort of a miraculous turnaround, a new governor named Johnson 
starts Mercy Courts, where he goes around and listens to people's stories, and then comes to the jail, and he's really taken with her story, because she's such a trustworthy individual, and on via the Mercy Court, she's freed. She goes home. So she spends eight years there in jail. Meanwhile, Octavia and Dana, Dick Dana... <laughs> Eight years. Yeah, she she spends eight years, and she was going to spend life there. Not that that wow. makes it that much better, mm. but she was a young woman. Mm-hmm. She returns home and becomes a seamstress, which is the profession that she was forced to do mm-hmm. while she was incarcerated. But it does eliminate her need to be in white houses in a more personal way, like as a laundress or something like that, or as as a, as a a maid or domestic. She doesn't die until 1969. She actually goes on to marry someone else and um, be a pillar of the church and have a meaningful life for the rest of what... Well, that's good, at least. Yeah. I mean... Not to say that there's any justice in that, but at least she was able to have... A life after A that. life afterwards. Yeah. yeah. What happens to, to uh, the, the goat man and the, and the goat lady? They are constantly in battles to retain that little meager scrap of what they, they think is owed to them. Mm-hmm. Numerous people, numerous owners tried to foreclose on them and get them kicked out. And Octavia is miraculous at always finding a way to keep them there a little bit longer. So Dick dies in 1948. Then Octavia, who has always claimed to just be his friend or caretaker, launches into this campaign that says that she and he were actually married and that anything that belonged to him is actually now her property. She belongs there and she can stay there. And so she wages a new lawsuit, which is in the works when she dies a year later. Very quickly after she dies, mm-hmm. the family that owns it at the time disposes of it, sells it as quickly as possible. And within, um, within I think, 10 years, it, it's leveled. They put in a development, uh, which they name after <laughs> Glenwood. Mm. Where are the goats? Do we know what happened to the goats? The goats actually went to an Ivy League school. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to know. Because goats like Ivy. (laughs) Mares eat oats and does eat oats and little lambs eat Ivy. So we can assume that goats. Yeah, a kid will eat Ivy too. A kid will eat Ivy too. That's true. How about you? (laughs) Nah. No, okay. Nah. (laughs) So they end up being able to last that whole time in their rundown little mansion and never have to actually face any charges. It's goat work if you can get it. It is goat work if you can get it. I was just trying. But there, the thing, the interesting thing about it is there are many, many pictures of the two of them hanging out with goats in the house. I mean, if you can, if you can separate all the horrific parts from it, mm-hmm. and just think about how much fun it would be, like say you were a kid to see people who lived with goats, like how yeah. amazing that would be. People would have piano recitals, and there would be goats there, or um, people just hanging out with their goats, eating the wallpaper. Not our usual kind of wild man for the no. show. Nor our usual kind of goat man for the show. Yeah, exactly. Usually quite different guys. An interesting story, nonetheless. Tragic in some ways, as many of these are. As with most murders. True. True yeah. indeed. And we keep saying, I keep saying like, oh, I don't want to do any more true crime stories. <laughs> like they're, then we'll find another interesting personal, one. Though. And then like this one, and, and with all of the true crime stories that I'm attracted to, the crime is the least interesting part. That's right. why we always say like... Yeah, the people are the interesting. The people are interesting. It's yeah. the interesting personalities that go along with it and not so much that I like the, the goriness or like I want yeah. to know yeah. the uh, the details of someone's... Right. Yeah. 
We won't be doing any serial killer shows where we talk about the kill count and no. the way that the killer's dispatched of people and so forth. That's, that's No, I mean, this is horrific enough to yeah. relate that this yep. poor woman was killed in her house. All right. Next Goat Castle show is going to be entirely different. What do they call those goat... Um, goat towers. Goat towers. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. Like, goat towers are like a common thing, right? Because yeah. goats love them. Yeah, they love to climb up. Goat gardens. Goat towers. Goat castle. Grey gardens. <laughs> Raccoon Castle. I feel like we, everybody has a way that, like, if they go off the deep end, they'll go. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm just going to go off. Like, you would go off and live in the woods by yourself, right? That would be your crazy? Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah some, yeah, probably. maybe. Yeah. I feel like I'd have, like, 85 cats and live with just all my stuff. hmm Totally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm like, halfway there, I only just don't have the cats yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's more of a cat contingency plan I need than, yeah. than a stuff contingency plan. Or, or you might take in a bunny who gets pregnant, and then before you know it. Yeah, I could have, like, it could be a take on that. I could have a bunny castle. Yeah, exactly. But everybody has a propensity, and I, I think there there is a great, you know, you can either be Jackie O, or you can be the heiress in the castle, or in the, in the abandoned mansion with oh, the raccoon. Those are the only two options? Yeah, and honestly, between the two, I think I'm going mansion, decaying mansion. Decaying mansion. Mm-hmm. I don't look good in pillbox hats. It's definitely an aesthetic too. Yeah. What an on-topic, totally appropriate, and awesome curiosity of the week you've brought, Allison. I know you'd like to stay on topic. Well, the, the thing that was amazing about it is I know that this picture existed somewhere in several of my piles of, of stashed photos. And I was like, where is that goat? <laughs> where is that goat? Where is that goat? Is, is he eating the, the wallpaper? This goat's name is, is Fred Marshall. Which is an excellent goat name. Excellent goat name. I don't know. I, it may be the person who took the photo. It could this be mi- Fred Marshall's goat, or he could, or that could be Fred or Marshall. That could be. Fred I like Marshall. to think of that as Fred Marshall. I, I think that's a fantastic name, Fred Marshall. He looks like a goat. Fred Marshall. He's got a little beard. Mm-hmm. This is an adorable goat, but it, I mean, also if you're into goats for some other reason, if you're, you know, I mean, you could put an upside down cross. Yeah, yeah. Florence, if you wanted to. Yeah, you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you had that on your on your folder in seventh grade, that's what you would do with that. <laughs> <laughs> 60s? No, it's earlier than that. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. When do you think it's from? I actually think it might be from the 40s. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think so. We're going to guesstimate that this goat photo is from the 40s. The thing is, he's timeless. He is timeless. He's a timeless goat. It's a nice big photo. Yeah, I think he's about five by seven. Perfect for framing. Put in your own goat castle. I'll put an image of this in the show notes. I almost want to use this as the episode image, but I got to use the... Picture of Dick Dana. Yeah. Anyway, I'll put an image of this goat in the show notes. If you click on that, it should take you over to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this and other curiosities of the week. And while you're at Etsy, make sure to check out our other goods. Goods or goats, did you say? (laughs) I said goods, but... (laughs) But it sounded like goats. There may or may not be other goats there as well. (laughs) There's Strange Familiars t-shirts there, Glow in the Dark, and classic blue Awoken Tree designs. Strange Familiars patches, stickers, copies of my books are there. Artwork, originals and prints. You have a bunch of photos you added over there as well. Our shop name is Lost Grave. If you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff should come up. While you're at Etsy, 
pop on over to Chad's shop, Ruck Rabbit Outdoors, and check out our friends at Karmic Garden as well. Get, get yourself cleaned up so you don't smell like a goat. Yeah. They have beard oils. <laughs> I don't know if they do or not. Because I was thinking, yeah, goats have those little cute beards. Yeah, he, yeah, he's got an awesome beard. I think that's part of the appeal that they always look like they're going to a party. Fred Marshall's got an <laughs> Fred, awesome beard. He does. <laughs> it's a really charming photo. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's a great photo. Thank you, Allison. Thank you for goat castling. That's a chess move. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to goat castle. Thank you for your help. Thank you for your research. And thank everyone. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music by Stone Breath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. We have the Strange Familiars Gathering group on Facebook as well. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars. And you can find us on the web 24-7. We never sleep. Just like the Pinkertons. <laughs> www.strangefamiliars.com. and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.